Morning. Let me see if this is, oh, we did turn it on. I'm on a roll already this morning. That's great. Well, how are y'all? Good. You're really quiet. Loosen up a little bit. Jeez. There we go. Uh, well, it's just good to be up here. Um, let me pray with you guys, and we want to jump into the Word this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, I, I really have um, no desire in me for any of this to be about me or anybody else, but Lord, solely about you, about your son. Lord, would we be moved by that this morning? Lord, I invite you to just put your holy presence in this place, Lord. Lord, and to move in your word, Lord, that our hearts would be changed. Lord, that our hearts would come out of this place different than when they came in. Lord, so we thank you so much for this time, and it's in your son's name, amen. Amen. Um, it feels like a, it's been a while since I've been up here. It's good. It's good to see you all. Um, well, we're continuing on in our Advent series, um, which has been the gift exchange. And this morning, I have the sincere pleasure of kind of talking to you guys about this wonderful exchange of where God has exchanged our fear, or really the need to fear, and he's exchanged it and given us a hope. Um, and so I want to kind of start with some examples, um, and, and you guys should be pretty, pretty familiar with this because you guys live on the eastern shore. There's boats all around us. There's something that happens to boats if you don't anchor them properly. For example, they can tend to end up on a beach or at the bottom of the river, uh, and it's not just small boats or sailboats. There's other things that happen, but if you don't tie it up, even if you got a nice big boat, you run that sucker aground. Okay, it does not go well if you don't anchor your boat up properly. As we kind of go through our series, um, I, I was just thinking about hope, right? Thinking about what that is and, and the fact that we've been given this hope. But you might be asking, all right, why are you talking about boats? Why are you talking about tying up boats, tying them up properly, anchoring them properly? Well, Here's the correlation for you. If we, don't, if we don't anchor our hearts to the hope that we have in God, to the hope that we have in him, and who, who we have as a savior and his son, we're gonna end up like those boats. We are easily swept away by fear, by the tides of change, the different things that come into our life. They're easily jacked up if we don't have a hope that's properly anchored. And so I wanna to talk to you about what does that really mean to have your hope properly anchored this morning? And so this isn't, it's not a really exhaustive list, it's only three things, and it's probably, I know it's not a perfect list for you, but it's a good start, it's a good start. And I just wanna remind you, what is hope? Hope is this feeling, it's this expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. So I'm talking about hope. I'm, I'm talking about the hope that we have in God, the hope that we have that comes from a relationship with him, ultimately that we have a future with him, if we are a follower of Christ, that we have been saved and freed. That's the hope I'm talking about this morning. And when we have a hope that is properly anchored, 
It's this wonderful thing. It's this beautiful platform of where faith can honestly grow and be strengthened. But we gotta be real too in that if our hope isn't properly anchored, it can be a scary thing. It becomes this shaky platform to try to grow faith on and grow your relationship with the Lord if it's not tied up well. So, honestly, I pray that this message and this time and the words reassuring for you that if anything, it, it kind of reassures you that the lines of your faith are, are, are anchored properly in hoping and trusting in God. But if today maybe exposes a lack for you of hope, of where your faith is, I pray that you take the opportunity this morning to allow God to redirect that for you. Maybe to tighten the knot to him on where it should be anchored. All right, let's get to it. Let's go. Um, so the first thing, our hope has to be anchored to the truth of God's words and his actions. Our hope has to be anchored to God's words and his actions matching up. I'm going to spend a bulk of our time, so if you want to flip with me um, to the book of Luke, we are going to be... I typed it wrong in my notes. I'm pretty sure it's Luke chapter one, yeah. And I wanna start off at verse 26. And just to kind of set the stage for you, we're kind of going through. Gabriel shows up on the scene. He meets with Mary and he is foretelling Jesus' birth, which is a great time for this season because that's what we're celebrating. And so Gabriel comes in. So pick up with me in the book of Luke, again, one, verse 26. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right. If a glowing dude shows up in your room, you're going to be freaked out too. I'm just, let's just put that out there. That's why she was maybe a little concerned. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, look, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a great question. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Man, God's word is good. I know that was a long passage, but I want to break that down. There's, there's so much happening 
in this text that's kind of walking us through the fact that our hope can rest in this, that when God says something, his actions are going to back it up. I mean, that's kind of the foundational thing for trust, right? If you put trust in a a friendship, a lot of times that trust is rooted on if that friend says something to you, they do that thing. It's foundational. And so you're not going to have a lot of trust if people say things and then they don't do them. Well, here's the perfect reason of why one of those lines of hope should be anchored to God is the fact that his words and his actions, they always match. They always match up. So if anything, if you're going to have a hope in something, put your trust and put your hope in someone that's never going to fail you. And God says so much in this text. So Gabriel gives Mary word that on on what's about to happen. He tells her that something very easily that she can, she obviously, he's saying, look, I'm speaking for God. And this is a pretty easy fact check. He says, you are going to become pregnant. Now, look, I've never been pregnant. I know that's a shocker for you. And it's probably a good thing I've never been pregnant for a number of reasons. But I have seen a few pregnancies and births. And when someone tells you, you're going to be pregnant, there's some visible signs that start to back up that you can fact check that pregnancies occurred. So God says you're going to be pregnant, and then Mary recognizes, man, that she is pregnant. That starts to spin in motion. But there's more that's going on. He gives her more information, too, that's hopeful, and that Mary is going to see play out in her lifetime as she sees her son, Jesus, who is human, but also the son of God as he grows. But God automatically, in her words, he's answering hundreds of years of Old Testament are coming true with the words that he's saying. He says to her, look, you're going to see that he will be great. Jesus is going to be the greatest man to walk on this earth because of what he accomplishes. He will be called the son of the most high. We see this later confirmed in the book of John, right? Jesus is baptized. He comes out. Man, and God's voice says in front of everyone, he's my son with whom he's well pleased. He is the son of the most high. So words from God and his actions are backing it up. Words and actions. He says that he's going to sit on his father's throne, David. Well, Mary is the greatest descendant. You look along those lines, you can look at the book of Matthew and see where Mary shows up in David's lineage. Joseph also in that lineage of David. So again, it's matching up. We see his words again and again are matching up with what Gabriel's saying to Mary. And as Mary's son... I love this. He affirmed, Gabriel's confirming that, look, Jesus will be fully human and he will be fully God. And that's one of the greatest matching of words and actions that God can give us because if you're going to hope in something, you want to hope in someone that has experienced what you've experienced. I mean, I, you know, it's actually another pastor I remember kind of giving this analogy. If you look at 
Any movie, right, we love the hero story. We want to hope in someone that's going to ultimately be there in the end and save in the end. That's where we want to place our hope. That's where we want it to rest, right? We look at all of these things. The action here is Marvel has built billions on the superhero movie plot. But it's always the same thing. We want to hope in a savior. And Gabriel delivers this perfect one. He goes, look, he's not just God, but he's also human. He's going to walk through the struggles of being on this earth that you are, but he's also going to be fully God and fully capable to save you from everything. And at the bottom of that, it's God saying, I'm going to say this is how it's going to be, and then I'm going to back it up, and that's exactly how it's going to be, his words and his actions. And Mary hears all of this, and she asks her great question. Um, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I told you, that's a really, really good question. But I think even in, in how God brings about Jesus in this conversation, the Immaculate Conception becomes one of the greatest gifts of hope. As God's words and his actions perfectly align, like they always do, to bring into this world this living hope of salvation. That God's words can overshadow Mary and they can create life. And Jesus, born of a virgin, documented, check it in history. Again, it's just God's words and his actions lining up. Now, sometimes we miss out. I'm going to be honest with you. Let me be real. Sometimes we miss out on seeing the hope from God's words and actions always matching because, honestly, we don't always take the time to stop and reflect on his actual work in our lives, right? Man, I'm so guilty of this. I'll be the first one. Maybe you don't want to admit it, so I'll be the first one to admit it. I'm so guilty of just stopping and reflecting on what God is doing to line things up of how his words and his actions even line up in my own life. And there, I think there's, there's probably, at least for me, I think there's two big reasons for why that happens. One, I'm either too busy to stop and see God's hopeful work, or this is the bigger one, I'm too disconnected from him to be aware of it. So how can we make sure, how can we make sure that we are actually anchored to the, the hope that we have in the fact that God's words and his actions, they always match up? And I love this. Mary has the right response. She says all of this, what God's word is, and what's her response? She says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me what's according to your word. And the thing is, we can be firmly anchored in hope and trusting in God's words and actions when our life is willing to bow to him. When we can pull back and look and go, man, his hand is always perfectly wrapped around the details of my life. Always. He never leaves us with, here, with fear, but he only leaves us with hope. So that's the first thing that our hope must be anchored in the fact that his words and his actions always match. The second thing, 
hope must be anchored to God alone. God alone. Um, there's a story, um, Mr. Tabor, he is a famous guy in Colorado history. He was a successful mining man at the time of the great uh, gold rush and the pushes towards the West to find gold. And he actually made millions off of his matchless mine, which was near uh, Cripple Creek, Colorado. And at the time he made so much money, um, his eye uh, fell onto a divorcee. Her name was Baby Doe. Um, that's a terrible name. That's a terrible name. But anyway, um, so he divorced his wife. He married her. And this marriage was a huge thing. Even the president showed up for their marriage. I mean, this guy was living the high life off of the money coming out of his mind mining gold. I mean, he had so much uh, going for him, but misfortune kind of overtook him. He lost all of his money. The mind just stopped producing. And he died a brokenhearted and a poor man. But just before his death, though, he said to his then wife, Baby Dell, again, terrible, this final admonition, though, and this is what he said. He said, have faith in the matchless mind. Never give it up. It will give you back all that I have lost. So she took that on his dying deathbed and baby doe, the, the now forlorn aging widow took him at his word. She lived near the mine and guarded it for the next 36 years of her life. She stayed near it even after court orders and different things to get her off of the property and to get the mine back, she fought them off and she never left the mine. And in 1935, she died in a dilapidated shack near the mine and her hopes were never realized. Her life was a dismal failure and she came to a sad end because she put every ounce of hope and faith in the wrong object. All right, that was kind of harsh, right? <laughs> Mood kind of really changed. You're like, thanks for that. I have no hope now. Um, but we gotta be, we gotta understand the truth that we need to understand the harshness of that story and understand the fearful reality if we put our hope in anything other, other than God. We end the same way as she did if we place our hope in anything other than God. It may not be in a dilapidated shack in the mountains of Colorado, but we will be just as hopeless if we try to tie our hope to anything in this world that is not Jesus. If you try to attach it to a job, if you try to attach it to a spouse, if you try to attach it to your kids, ultimately, you might be okay for a little while, but that knot that you've anchored it to is going to come loose, and you're going to drift away and run aground somewhere and end up just like them if it's not firmly tied to Christ. And I know, I know that that is so much easier said than done. 
It's easy to stand up here and tell you, put all your hope in Jesus. Trust fully in in Christ and what he's done for you. Because often when the details of our lives turn sour and then from sour to rotten, a complete trust and hope in God alone is extremely difficult. Are we being real right now? Yes. It's not always the easiest thing. Hoping and trusting in God alone is easier said than done when you lose a job or friend. And God forbid you lose your spouse. It becomes extremely difficult to maintain a firm hope. Oh my gosh, if you lose a child or child walks away from you wanting nothing to do with you, trusting that God firmly has your details can be one of the hardest things to hold tightly to. I get that. And we end up asking, why is this happening? God, you tell me to have this hope. You tell me to have this trust in you. But do you see what's happening in my life? And then we end up feeling like we've lost all hope. How can I trust a God that allows those details to pour out in my life? Paul lays out some of these details of difficulty in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn there with me, you can. I'll read it for you otherwise. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm just going to look at verses 8 and 10. And Paul is writing his second letter to the Corinthians, and he's speaking about just some of the the difficulties they experienced while they were in Asia, and he's a missionary, and he says this, verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's difficult details. When you despair life itself, that's some some drama. Indeed, verse nine, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. They were to the point that they thought it was like being handed a death sentence. And when some of those details I just mentioned hit your life, that's what it can feel like. Like someone just said, it's all over for you. You don't have a hope anymore. But listen to what he says in the middle of verse nine. But that, there was a very specific reason, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You know, scripture isn't explicitly clear on the trials that they were facing at the time. We just know that they took from them everything mentally and physically. They were burdened, burdened beyond strength. 
They were despaired by life itself. And they felt as though they had received the sentence of death. And at this point, Paul should not be preaching on hope. He should be the poster child for there is no hope. When you are facing those kind of trials that put you to the point that you think death is coming at a moment's notice, you should not be the one up there talking about putting your hope fully on God. But he does. And his answer for why is perfect for us. And I'm telling you, if you got you, you should underline that word and you should lock that word away in your hearts because he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Look, I, I don't really know why God allows certain things. I don't. I am so human and I am so clueless to how all the details of our lives work out. But I do know there is a very specific purpose for the most troubling details that I will face and that you will face. I love a good Matthew Henry quote, really, really bright theologian. He says, God often brings his people into great straits that they may apprehend their own insufficiency to help themselves and may be induced to place their trust and their hope in his all-sufficiency. God does have complete control of life's details. And ultimately, even when the difficult things happen, they are to lead us away from trusting in anything of ourselves, of our family, of our friends, and to make sure that our hope is firmly placed solely on him alone. And I have one last point that our hope must be anchored to. Our hope has to be anchored to a longing for him, a longing for the Lord. Last little chunk of scripture It's in Psalm 63, verses one through four. Let me read it to you. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you with my soul, which thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. This is the kind of longing that we need to have. We need this kind of longing. And it's like, you know, David mentions like being in a desert, longing for the Lord, like when you are in the desert and you haven't had any water, I remember I went, my, my brother, now my dad lives in the desert. They live in Phoenix. And I just remember going hiking and the heat just starts to turn up. And when you don't have water to go to, man, it consumes your thought to have that thirst quenched. That's the kind of longing we need for God. 
It's kind of longing that David speaks of in this. In any other situation, this type of longing, I'll be honest, is really, really dangerous. If you long for anything other than God in this way, it can be extremely toxic because you're longing for something that was never meant to be longed for. But man, when you long for God in this way, it does three pretty incredible things. When our longing is totally for the Lord in that way, it revises our vision. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory, longing the right way in God. It revises our vision in that we see truly who God is, that he is powerful, and all the glory goes to him. And that corrects how you see everything else in your life. It issues forth proper praise. He says, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Our hearts then start to, to praise God properly when that longing is just for him. And it optimally orders our steps. David talks of, so I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. He is walking that longing is causing him to walk in God's direction. Just like being in the desert that first time when you see water, you will not deter from your path, but you will make sure you walk directly towards that water source. And when you're longing and your heart longs properly for God, you are going to walk towards nothing else but him. Our hope must be anchored to a longing for the Lord. Let me wrap up with these last few thoughts. Like, I don't personally have a boat. But growing up on the eastern shore, I know that often tides, weather, and all sorts of things can impact how a boat is anchored. They can. And often, the lines are going to need to be adjusted so that that boat remains secure. When hope is waning or faint, you are going to need to adjust the lines. You're going to. It's inevitable that us as believers, as we walk in seasons of despair, hit seasons of tr struggle are going to hit us. Seasons of doubt will eventually wash against us. And adjusting the lines to ensure that hope is anchored to God's words and actions, to him alone, and a longing for him, is going to be inevitable that we do. Adjusting those lines is going to require that we continue in prayer. We have to talk to God. We have to be honest with him when we're struggling with those things, with the details of life of where, man, my hope, God, it is, it's faint right now. I am struggling with that. He desires for us to pour that out to him. It means also going to his word and listening to it. We cannot move too far away from God's word and expect to be guided by it. It doesn't work that way. And lastly, it will be dependent on us surrounding ourselves with other followers, other followers in discipleship that are willing to live and walk God's way. We need to be surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. And we come to communion to remember who our Savior is. 
and what he has accomplished for us. We have no need to fear because we can trust fully that his life, that Jesus' life was truly given so that our life could be free. In him, we have the greatest of hopes. And I hope that you latch on to that this season, that you recognize that fully this season, that we have in him, in Jesus alone, we have a hope of relationship. We have a hope of inheritance. And we have a hope of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it's my prayer for me, for, for each person here, Lord, that, Lord, I'm just going to ask that, that if our hope is in anything else, if we've kind of mistakenly or even purposely, God, tied up our hope to other things, Lord, that you would redirect those lines. Lord, that they would be redirected to you and your son and what you have done for us. Lord, that we would remember these things, that we would reflect on these things, and God, ultimately, that we would be changed by them, by you, God. So, Lord, may we take that time, Lord, to just be with you now as we come and we remember, Lord, that Jesus was born, that he lived, God, this perfect life for us, and that ultimately he died the perfect sacrifice, Lord, that we could be with you. It's in your name we pray, amen.